Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Well, hang on. There's not one second. Hello, Chris. Nigel. Hello. Hello. How are you? Nigel Farage rarely sits on the fence. He's not afraid to go against the grain, and he's happy to challenge received wisdom in modern-day politics. And when we spoke at length about his friendship with Donald Trump for this podcast, he didn't change his stripes. Ten weeks ago, Mr Farage told me there was no doubt in his mind that his political friend and ally, Donald Trump, would triumph in the upcoming US presidential election. So what went wrong? And what does it mean for their shared politics? Does populism die when Trump leaves the White House? And will that happen before President Joe Biden's inauguration? To find out Nigel Farage's view on what lies ahead for the soon-to-be ex-leader of the free world, I gave him a call. I started by reminding him just how firmly he had nailed his colours to the Trump mast when we last spoke. On the day he'll win. There's no question on the day he'll win. The worry, just as we've seen terrible abuses of postal voting in this country, is are we going to see the same thing in America? And the worst of all worlds is that Trump wins on the day, and then 10 days later they've counted all these postal votes, not all of which will have been verified as coming from individuals, and we find a different result. And if that was to happen, America would be plunged into a very, very bad place. Nigel Farage, that was you on the Trump card before the election. What went wrong? Well, if you listen to what I just said on that uh, recording, I think I pretty much got it right, didn't I? I pretty much said that he'll win on the day, but he might lose on the count back, and that might be something to do with postal voting. So um, I was right. I mean, I was there, Chris. I was there. I was at a big party, you know, with senators and congressmen and goodness knows who, big donors, rappers, who were there, all of whom apparently were incredibly famous. I'd never heard of any of them. Um, <laughs> there was a big celebration going on. And, you know, he's in the lead in the states that matter. And then uh, as you move to those votes that had come in by post, suddenly the picture was very, very different. So, look, he got 75 million votes, more than any Republican has ever achieved before. They won seats in the House of Representatives. They won more counties than they'd won across America last time round. But what happened here is that in some of the really big cities, there were colossal turnouts. And in many of those, in many of those cities, sort of 90% votes 
for Biden. Now, there are two explanations for this. One is that because America had never used postal voting before, in most of the states, there was no law against effectively ballot harvesting. What do I mean by that? I mean the kind of abuses I've seen in the UK, where the postman puts the postal vote through the door of number 10, should we say, and a few minutes later, that nice man from the local trade union comes around to collect the vote. That, in many American states, isn't even illegal. And of course, you know, there are many other questions about ballot papers being sent out without correct verifications, late dumps of votes happening at two and three in the morning. All I'm saying is this, wherever you have large scale postal voting, you have a problem. And it's why the French have put a stop to it. I I get that. And we know your complaints go back many years about postal voting fraud in this country. Do you think that was enough, your claims, to move the election in favour of Biden? Or is that just sour grapes? Uh, Look, as I say, as I say, if you take the key states, if you take Arizona, if you take Michigan, if you take Wisconsin, and I guess we should take Georgia as well, all right? If you look at those states, Biden in the end won them all by an average of just under half a percent. I mean, it was really, really wafer thin. And yet, in those big cities... You know, we saw these astonishing turnouts for Biden. Now, look, the comment I made a couple of days after the election, I stand by now, which is this. So much of the criticism of postal voting and what goes wrong and what the abuses are, so much of it is circumstantial that it is very, very difficult to prove. And I felt from the off that whilst they could raise objections, whilst they could make people think about the conduct of these elections, and bear in mind, this only happened because of COVID. I mean, that's the reason that postal voting happened on this scale. But I said from the start, I did not think they would be able to overturn the election result, and so it's proved. So yes or no, Nigel Farage, do you think that Trump's claims of fraud stand up? Did he lose the election because of fraud? Yes or no? That can't be proved. Can't be proved. It it cannot be proved one way or the other. Had there not been large-scale postal voting, he'd have won it very comfortably. But that isn't what happened. So, So, yes, of course. Of course, there were problems with the election. But it's done. It's over. Uh, But it's left a lingering doubt. And the remarkable thing and the worrying thing for where America goes from here is that 39% of Americans in a poll effectively do think the election was stolen. And I guess we'll move on and, and, and discuss this. But it's how does America settle down after this, or even can it? What's your thoughts on the phone call that was recorded of Donald Trump to a governor about counting votes, finding another 11,000 votes? Do you think that was appropriate for a president? Oh, look, I don't think he was asking the bloke to uh, fit in blank ballot papers. I think that was just a form of expression. He was talking, surely there are more votes out there for me. I don't think that's the most serious thing we're talking about here right at this moment in time. I really don't. Have you spoken to Donald Trump at all since the election day? Uh, since the election, but not, n- no, not, not since November. Not since November. I mean, quite a lot of things have gone wrong since then. I think the... I think the advocacy 
of Rudy Giuliani was a mistake. I think just standing up and shouting fraud without really putting together some proper arguments was a mistake. I think whilst they were perfectly entitled to go through the legal process, I think there comes a point where you just have to, you just, you just have to accept that it's happened. Be in no doubt. You know, I think Trump was a very good president. I think he achieved some great things. I think the way it's all ended or is ending is very, very sad. Moving on to our next clip, Nigel Farage, you were right about one thing, weren't you? There is the potential for the biggest constitutional row in modern times, which could be accompanied by some seriously unpleasant things happening on the street. I, I, I pray we don't get into that. Now, when we were speaking, Nigel Farage, you were, of course, in Washington. You were walking around the streets of the boarded-up shops. You did a video of that. It looked quite uh, dystopian. And there were real concerns about problems on the streets immediately after the election that didn't happen. But then, of course, this week happened with Trump supporters storming the Capitol building. What's your your view on that? Oh, look, I think the storming of the Capitol was a dreadful image. Uh, Nothing can justify that. Nothing whatsoever can justify that. The video that I made, I was talking about actually if Trump had been declared the winner on the night, yeah. the thought was they'd loot and burn the place to the ground. That, that was they being Democrat supporters? Well, not necessarily. Well, Democrat supporters. But, right. but look, I am not going to defend what happened at Capitol Hill one little bit. All right? You know me long enough to know I've never supported violence or action or illegal action of that kind to achieve political goals, and I never, ever will. Okay. But just get a sense of perspective on why I made that video. It's because we had weeks, months of rioting, a couple of dozen people killed in a series of protests led by Black Lives Matter and Antifa. So, so you know, we now have this horrendous situation in America where we've got two very radicalised groups prepared to go out onto the streets, uh, break the law, and and threaten life and limb. And that's where America finds itself right now, today. And and here's my concern. Whatever you think of the speech Trump gave outside the White House that day. But I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. (laughs) And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and Congressmen and women, because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. There's an argument, was he insightful or wasn't he? All right. Well, I think Rudy Giuliani was. I'm willing to stake my reputation. The president is willing to stake his reputation on the fact that we're going to find criminality there. I think think Giuliani saying to the crowd. Let's have trial by combat. In that febrile atmosphere, go into combat. I mean, that really should not have been said. I don't think that rally should have happened on that day because I don't think it was difficult to predict that things might go wrong. That was the uh, Trump rally you're talking about yeah. behind the, the screen on the, on the day. Yeah, I think, you know, you've got half a million people that came into D.C., a very febrile atmosphere. There was always going to be a huge risk in that going ahead. I wouldn't have done it, all right? I wouldn't have done it. Do I think Trump's speech incited them? To storm the Capitol? No, I don't. Even though he did say, let's go down there and, and tell the centres what we think, didn't he? I mean, he went quite near that, didn't he? Well, we marched people from Sunderland 
to Westminster to tell our MPs what we think, all right? So, so you know, mm. uh, ask yourself a question. Did Trump want his own people and perhaps some other agitators too? But did he want his own people to storm the Capitol? No, of course he didn't. Of course he didn't, but it happened. But here's the, here's the thing that really matters. We are now seeing a level of vindictiveness from the Democrats, a level of censorship, I mean, Twitter say they banned him because not attending the inauguration was effectively incitement to violence. I don't get that. I don't buy that argument one little bit. Twitter have banned him for, for what he might say. Well, no, it's, it's, more, it's more about more about that he's not there might invite supporters to come and take a pop at the inauguration. That, that's why they're saying that, isn't it? That's how it's being interpreted. You and I both know, you and I both know, that at the Biden inauguration, the crowd will be tiny. Washington will be in lockdown. The two parties have a different attitude towards COVID, don't they? Mm. You know, Trump's done rallies all over the country. Biden does little drive-throughs with a couple of dozen people. And the other point to make is, all these bans came in after he had accepted the result of the election and said they would be an orderly transition. So he's been banned for what he might do. But here's my concern. You know, Churchill's great quote, about being magnanimous in victory. Well, it certainly applies now. I see senior Democrats, the Pelosi's and others, who are so certain of their moral superiority, so filled with hatred and contempt, not just for Trump, but for the values of tens of millions of Americans, that they're going down a course where this guy could be martyred or silenced. And I think that is the biggest mistake anybody could make at this moment in time. Donald Trump didn't radicalize tens of millions of Americans. Tens of millions of Americans had already become upset with mainstream media, increasingly distrustful of social media, had a loathing for Washington and the way that it operates far stronger the neurosceptics in this country felt about Brussels. Trump was their voice, Chris. And if you take Trump out of the picture, then what follows Trump, what follows Trump could be very sinister indeed. So I would urge everybody, well, they won't listen, I know, but I would urge the Democrats not to be vindictive. And I would urge social media platforms to think again. Otherwise, I think America could be heading into a very, very bad place. Don't you think, though, that superiority is on both sides? Don't you think you've got the Trump supporters ransacking Nancy Pelosi's office, the speaker there? And, and don't you think it's on no. both sides? I mean, no. You don't think? No. No. Do you know something? When I was going around those Trump rallies in the run-up to the election, and I talked about the Democrats, you know, I talked about AOC and Pelosi and all these people, and... Trump supporters just think they're a bit nuts. They don't hate them. They think they're a bit nuts. They think they don't really? Understand. Really? Yes, yes, really? yes. They, yes, they think they're a bit nuts. They don't think they're evil. In some cases, they will, but generally. Whereas the Democrat line of argument, rather like the ultra Remainer line of argument in our country, is that somehow... Those on the other side are evil, they're bad, it's a, a reincarnation of what happened in Germany in the 1930s. I mean, they're filled. They're filled with a moral superiority. They believe they are better people because they have a different set of values. 
So no, no, I think I think that's very deeply entrenched, and it's certainly, in the main, a one-way street. You mentioned something sinister there, there that could fill the gap if Trump is marginalised and the silence from social media. What are you thinking of? Well, I'll give you a little example, not as extreme, but that your you know your followers of this podcast will remember. In two thousand and five, two thousand and six, we saw a very rapid rise in the British National Party. All right. Nick Griffin, his status in the country rose very dramatically. They started winning council seats in the north of England. They won a couple of seats in the European Parliament. And you know, the BNP appeared to be on the march in many of our big cities. And yet we all knew that, you know, Articles 2 and 3 of their constitution, that it was an overtly racist and quite dangerous organisation. And I came along and said to BMP voters, now look, if you agree with what the BMP stands for, you vote for them. But if you're voting for them because you're holding your nose, because you're so angry about what's happened in your community, come and vote for me, come and vote for us, because we're genuinely a non-racist, non-sectarian political movement in this country that wants more fairness, wants us outside the EU, wants tighter border controls. Do you know what, Chris, it worked. That, that strategy worked, and it was one that I adopted with Paul Nuttall in UKIP, and it worked. And we, I mean, almost overnight, we took away two-thirds of the BNP vote. So however much some people in Britain don't like me and what I've done, you know, actually, I got rid of the far right in British politics. I don't, I don't think that's a bad achievement. Donald Trump, Donald Trump has been a lightning rod for a variety of opinions. But he's been the lightning rod for those that feel dispossessed, for those that feel excluded, for those that feel downtrodden. And he's been their voice. He's spoken up for them on issues where nobody else would. If you take Trump out of the picture, if you silence him completely, then there is a real danger that somebody who is genuinely demagogic comes along. And I I, honestly, better the devil you know in this situation, because it is a very dangerous situation in the USA right now. I've never heard you say that you targeted the BNP vote in that way. I mean, what you say is correct. The BNP vote collapsed. And where is Nick Griffin today, for example? This is a Trump card podcast. But how did you feel about going after that vote? I mean, that is a racist uh, vote you're you're targeting. And and, and how does that feel? Stop. You've got to stop this. You're falling into the same trap as the Remainers who think that everyone that voted Brexit is some sort of knuckle-dragging extremist. The same trap that, that you know, Rosalie Hillary Clinton, when she talked about the deplorables. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. <laughs> right? The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic... The point I'm making, Chris, is, and I know this is a Trump podcast, but the point I'm making is I knew that most people that were voting BMP were doing so because they were desperate, desperate. They'd seen their access to public services decline, their communities change beyond belief, their job prospects decline, their incomes decline, and they were holding their nose and voting BMP as a means of sticking two fingers up to the establishment. I knew that, I understood that, and it worked. And do you know something? Of the half a million that turned up in Washington, D.C. last week, the vast majority were decent, peaceful people concerned about what was going on in America. And yes, of course, there were 
many, far too many that behave badly, but that doesn't count for the vast majority. It really genuinely doesn't. Okay, here's our next clip. I think the constant, constant attempt to delegitimize his presidency, rather like we saw here with the attempt to stop Brexit from happening, quite similar movements on both sides of the pond in many ways. All of that did have an effect on him. There's no point denying that. It did have an effect upon him. Well, what effect has it had on him, Nigel Farage? Well, I think that, uh, I, I mean, clearly... He's been through four and a half years. Isn't it funny? They keep accusing him of not accepting the election result. The other lot never accepted his legitimacy ever since 2016. I mean, he's been through so much, you know, Mueller, impeachment, all these things. It was endless. Look, he's a very, very strong guy. He's He's got a work rate that is just off the charts. I, I just think where we are right now, the danger is that all his achievements get crowded out by these images of the storming of the Capitol. All presidents worry about their legacies. Do you think he's blown it? I say he's blown it. His behaviour during this storming of the Capitol last week, his behaviour about not accepting his defeat, he's almost, has he blown it since the election day? Well, Hillary Clinton never accepted her defeat in 2016 and still doesn't. Half the British Parliament didn't accept the results of the referendum. So we've seen a bit of this in recent times. But they, no, they accept they lost. They accept they lost. Not really. No, it's the Russians that did it. Haven't you heard? That's why we voted Brexit. I mean, we've <laughs> seen conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory. He was within his rights to question the legitimacy of the election and to go to the courts. Quite within his rights to do it, just as Al Gore did, you know, against Bush 20 years ago or so. He was within his rights to do that. I think the problem for his legacy are simply those images of the storming of the Capitol. Um, and, the, and, 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 and for his political legacy, that's, you know, that is a real problem, let alone what happens in the next few days. You know, the, the attempts to impeach him, threats to even impeach Mike Pence. So, we, you know, we, 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 we've got a very stormy week to come. Do you see in the way that the, the media is treating Trump now, the way politicians are... Do you draw a line across between the way they're treating him and the way you were treated by the media in this country? Someone you were patronised, you were blamed for things. Oh, don't look. make you into a martyr, Nigel Farage. But do you know what I mean? Do you think you were blamed for things that were beyond your control? I mean, a lot was in Trump's hands, of course. Oh, everything that went wrong was my fault. You know, uh, increase in racist abuse, or I mean, I mean, goodness gracious me, the, the things that were landed at my door uh, for years and years were quite extraordinary. Luckily, I just ignored most of it and carried on. But um, yeah, I, I get the feeling that the US mainstream media and the, the Democrat Party, they've waited for their opportunity. And this is their opportunity. And they're going to try and lay the entire blame for what happened at his door. The very same commentators who attempted to justify looting, rioting, burning, assault, and even, I'm afraid, murders, the same people that try to justify all of that just six months ago, have now decided this is the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of America. I'm not saying it's a good thing that happened last week. It isn't. But you do get the feeling that they've all been waiting for this moment, and now the witch hunt is fully on. 
That's not funny. I mean, let's not refight the rows about Black Lives Matter, but they weren't justifying it. Well, why was... not refight those? Well, because... if, you've got, if you've got mainstream broadcasters telling you that it's quite acceptable to burn down cities... But no one said that. No one said it's acceptable, did they? Oh, I, 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 listen, I can show you. I mean, listen, you, you can post after this podcast a series of articles written by leading journalists justifying why those things were happening. I'm sure justifying the protests, but not the violence, in the same way people might justify Trump supporters protesting, but not the violence. It's the same, it's the same equivocation, isn't it? Chris, all I'm saying is the air is thick with hypocrisy in many, many cases here, none of which justifies what happened last week. OK, time for your final clip, Nigel Farage. I think Trump, for some, for many, was a difficult thing to accept in 2016. I think Trump in 2020 is a bit easier. Yeah, sure. He's brash. He's out there. He's loud. Uh, He makes the odd mistake. Who doesn't? But I think they can see he's been nothing like as bad as we were told he was going to be. Nigel Farage, what do we make of Trump, do you think? What will history make of him? Uh, The outsider. The disruptor. The man that brought a completely different style to the US presidency, anything that's <laughs> certainly been seen uh, probably ever since Andrew Jackson, I would guess. And they may say that he's the president that encouraged the mob, but it's a bit too early to write that history for two reasons. The first is, unless, as I say, the vindictiveness ends and the feeling of censorship stops, what comes after Trump will be very much worse, very, very much worse. And he'll just be seen as a, you know, a brick on the road to this division of America. All right. Uh, And and I think, you know, divisiveness looks like to me it's going to get very much worse. Or, of course, despite all the difficulties that he's currently in, he does what he's done many times over a long career and confounds everybody by coming back and winning in 2024. And that sounds right now to be a bit fanciful. But you never put anything past Donald J. Trump. He's always full of surprises. And if he can see a way, he will. Could you say to an extent that Trump created a movement that's gone beyond his control now? He's lost his platform. He's lost his social media presence. After uh, uh, January the, the 19th, he's going to be no longer president. He'll have to find his own way of communicating to his supporters. Mm-hmm. Do you think he... It's now running away from him. Uh, look, these are very, very bad moments for him. Of course they are. As I say, the whole blame for what happened is being put on his shoulders. The social media bans, all the rest of it, make life incredibly difficult. He did build a movement. He was a voice for the dispossessed, a voice for the upset and angry. If it hadn't been Donald Trump bringing groups of people together under the Republican banner, that I suspect America would have had, uh, you know, some kind of third party, which may well have been very much, very much genuinely on the far right of politics. And hey, if Trump's out of the picture, that could still happen. Yeah. And what's next for him? Will he, will he do a, a, some kind of library, a presidential library of his best tweets? <laughs> As if they haven't all been deleted already. <laughs> um, I don't know. Look, I, I. I always thought that if he lost, he would want to run again in 2024. He doesn't like the word losing. That's not part of his vocabulary. And I also thought, given the sheer love and fanaticism that these vast crowds have for him, that Trump TV was a very real possibility. All that I do know 
at this moment of real uncertainty is that he will not be retiring to Mar-a-Lago or Turnbury to play golf for the rest of his life. He can't get into Scotland. He's banned from Scotland, Nigel. Well, I, I'm not sure that's re- that really stands up, <laughs> to be honest. Um, uh, maybe with COVID it's difficult, but, but you know he's got some big investments in Scotland, and who knows how long Sturgeon will be there, given her civil war with Alex Salmon that's about to begin. Um, one thing for certain, uh, this is a guy who, at the end of four years as president, looks younger and fitter than when he started. You know, most of them visibly age before your eyes. He was actually relishing it. He got more orange, Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to work with I used to work with Robert Kilroy Silk, so I do <laughs> that kind of thing. Chris, he he is he is not going to retire. Okay, given that, let's take that point. Okay, yes or no? Will he run again in November twenty twenty four? I still think there's a strong prob- a strong possibility. Yeah, that's him or, or Donald J. Trump Jr. I think him. Yeah. Has he said so to you? Have you heard that from the family? Who's telling you this? They were never contemplating losing in the run-up to the election. He, yeah. he, he, he's, he's dropped a few hints in the last few days. What's pretty clear, if he doesn't run, he'll have a veto, will he not, over, over the Republican candidate? Well, let's see what happens within the Republican Party. But, I mean, you know, if he decides not to run, then, you know, who he chooses to anoint will be very, very powerful indeed. And whether that's a Ted Cruz or one of the younger senators in America, I don't know. Could it be one of his family? It's often been speculated about. I just don't know. Uh, I just don't know. Uh, I don't think any of us know at this moment in time. But but he's not going to go off quietly into the sunset. That is for certain. Can it really be a Trumpite, to use that expression, after the scenes in, in Washington this week, last week? Uh, well, if it's not, then there'll be a split on the right of American politics. Yeah. And there'll be a new third party that comes yeah. along uh, that probably, that, that more than likely would be very nativist and really quite extreme. And, and that is the big debate the Republican Party's got to have with itself over the course of the next few months. Because if that happens, I mean, Trump's gift to the nation could be giving Kamala Harris the White House in 2024. You can't imagine Joe Biden standing for a second term, no. given his age. No, no, no. And no. so essentially what's happened this week is that Kamala Harris, has, her chance of winning, of being the president, have massively increased. Yeah, it's, uh, it's important, isn't it, when you're putting together political movements that you exclude the real extremists. And I'm afraid there were too many real extremists in that crowd the other day. Uh, no doubt some agitators from elsewhere in there to cause trouble, but there were just too many mm. extremists within that crowd, within that crowd of largely decent people. You never had that problem in, in UKIP or the, or the Brexit party. I mean, how would, you, how would you have dealt with that if you'd never been... Had the, well, look, I mean, I mean, we were always accused of it, Chris. We were always accused of it endlessly. But the violence... The I mean, violence never was the violence. never there. The violence was used against us, but the violence was never there. I did, of course, in tandem with that move, to try and get BMP voters, ban people who'd ever been members of the BMP from even joining the political party. Right. All right. So I, I always made sure there was some space mm-hmm. away from that very, very small, extreme minority. The big picture is that it's Trumpism that won in 2016 for the Republicans when any other candidate they'd put up would have lost that election. And I think that's pretty well acknowledged. Mm through the Republican Party. 
the base of the Republican Party has changed completely. It is very Trumpian. So it's a massive dilemma, mm. you know, for the Mitch McConnells and, 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 and the other senior figures in the Republican Party. If they want to go back to being boring old men, nicely dressed in their suits, with no fizz, no fire, no fun, they want to do that, that's fine, but they'll just lose. So they have to find a way. They have to find a way of keeping that Trump base with the party. And how do you do that without Donald Trump? And that's going to be the great debate, you know, because, I mean, clearly a lot of Republicans are furious with him for last week. Not all, but a lot are furious with him for last week. So you could find, if they choose to ditch him, goodness knows what happens to, to conservative politics in America. But, but I, you know, I, I feel and I fear that a split may not be very far away. Let's, let's finish on that big picture you mentioned there. Do you think with the, the Trump's gone, Brexit's happened, is populism as it was dead? Has it gone? Well... I'm not sure whether you ever accept that term, populism, to describe what, what UKIP and Brexit body was, but you know what I mean in yeah. terms of political scientists. Well, I prefer to call it popular. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I think what happened last week was a setback for populism, yes. I don't think there's any question about that. But when I look at the, the epicentre of globalism, which is Brussels, and I see the massive contradictions between the North and the South, caused by a currency that doesn't suit everybody. When I see the cultural differences between Hungary and Poland, and and perhaps France, or the Netherlands, and when I see this project built on mutual solidarity, being stuffed by the Germans, buying up as many vaccine doses for their own population as they possibly can and saying to hell with the rest of you. I know that these projects that I fought against, and indeed Trump fought against, these battles aren't over. They may have minor setbacks, but ultimately the populist wave will continue after a brief intermission, but it will need to think very carefully about some of the people that it allows on board, because a small number of extremists can destroy a political movement for everybody else. Nigel Farage, our final episode of the Trump Card on this podcast. Thank you for joining us over the past, well, five or six episodes now, but thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Nigel Farage there. And I was struck by what Nigel said about the risk of the Democrats making Donald Trump a martyr. He's been ripped off social media. He's lost his audience on Twitter. And now the Democrats are thinking about impeaching him as soon as Joe Biden becomes president next week. That's a massive risk because making Trump a martyr is exactly what his followers want. We also risk splitting the Republican Party as they try and find the next candidate to take on Joe Biden or Kamala Harris in 2024. It's all to play for, but there's no question that Trump's influence has not gone away with him leaving the White House very soon. Anyway, that's for another day. If you'd like to hear more interviews with the movers and shakers of Westminster and occasionally Washington, please search for my weekly show, Chopper's Politics, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And for more top-class political analysis, you can get one month's Telegraph subscription completely free of charge at telegraph.co.uk forward slash Trump podcast. Without our subscribers, we simply couldn't make podcasts like this one. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us know that we're making shows that you want to listen to. 
This episode was produced by Louisa Wells and Theo Leludis. Thank you for listening. We're interrupting this podcast to bring you news of another Telegraph show we think you might like. It's called Planet Normal, and it's hosted by me, Liam Halligan. And me, Alison Pearson. We're both Telegraph columnists who share the view that far too often those who shout the loudest on the telly just don't represent the views of normal people. So take a trip with us to Planet Normal. We're joined by some stellar guests, well-known voices from politics, business and the arts. All from different fields, but they have one thing in common. They're at the top of their game, but distinctly down to earth. The good news is I finally learned what a podcast is and even how you subscribe to it. It's actually quite simple. Search for Planet Normal on your podcast app or click on the link in the show notes for this episode. You don't really know what a podcast is, do you? I am one. Look, I am one. Who needs to know what it is? I am one. Okay, shut up. (laughs) Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.